Welcome to the Magnolia Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, and today we have a special surprise for you. Today we are introducing my co-host, at least part-time co-host here on the podcast, co-founder of the podcast, and my closest friend and engineer for the podcast, Logan Ramsey. Logan, how's it going, brother? How are you, John? I'm doing well. It's good to have you here with me. Uh, we might as well go ahead and get started by jumping right into the news. Yes, First, let's... a little editorial correction from yesterday. Yesterday, we mentioned the Alabama death penalty case. You remember mm-hmm. that? That uh, it turns out that he actually chose that method of execution for himself um, after uh, months ago they failed to um, execute him with lethal injection because they couldn't find a vein. We thought this was a form of lethal injection. Instead, this was nitrogen gas that was being fed to him through a gas mask. And according to the state of Alabama, it was only supposed to take a couple of seconds. And I'm sorry about the morbidity of this first case, or this first tidbit, but it's really essential to what's going on in the United States, especially in some of these red states like ours. We, of course, border Alabama here in Tennessee. Um, It was only supposed to take a few seconds. Turns out it took several minutes of him writhing, moving back and forth. There were concerns that he might vomit into his mask. I mean, it was a real nightmare. But a little correction on our part, uh, just to to be straightforward. I did say that it was a form of a a new lethal injection drug. It was actually a a new form of gas. So um, I apologize for that. still one heck of a way to go. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's one hell of a way to go. Um, according to the state of Alabama, though, there are other prisoners on death row signing up for this form uh, of execution, um, opposed to being uh, put to death by lethal injection. But, you know, that's their choice. Um, it's unfortunate that we still take this eye-for-an-eye type uh, approach in the United States of America and have the government killing people. But we do have some highlights today, starting off right off the top in the E. Jean Carroll federal defamation suit, part two against Donald Trump. Uh, Trump, I don't know what to say. He has completely fallen apart. Yesterday, he actually did have the fortitude to take the stand, which lasted a minute or two before Judge Kaplan uh, just excused him from the witness box, and uh, he stormed out of court. Again, today, just as the plaintiff's attorney was getting ready for closing arguments, Trump stormed out of court again. And after some tricky maneuvers, some talking when the judge said not to talk, and trying to slip in evidence the judge said was excluded in this particular case. Because remember, this case is not about whether or not Donald Trump defamed and sexually assaulted under New York state law. It's not rape unless the penis is involved. That that wasn't up for debate. The only thing up for debate was how much more money E. Jean Carroll would collect from Donald Trump and how much money is it going to take for him to stop. And remember this, we all know Donald Trump has had his financial struggles and that he's never really been as wealthy as he's claimed to be. However, 
during the deposition for this particular trial, he did mention that he was worth billions. So the, that could really work against him in a bad way. Also, uh, if you remember Peter Navarro, the Trump aide who ignored his congressional subpoena about a year or so ago, well, he was found guilty for criminal contempt of Congress and sentenced to four months in prison. So it seems like more and more people are either being disbarred, being sent to prison, or being bankrupted for having contact with Donald Trump during his political career, if you want to call it that. Also, Donald Trump was offered a coronation. Just forget about the Republican primary, Mr. Trump. This from Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chairwoman, saying, let's skip the rest of the primary. Forget about the primary. Let's just install you, despite the fact he only has 32 lectors at this point. And also throw out the fact that they're just skipping the codes, skipping the rules of the game, and basically cheating. And opening themselves up to one heck of a lawsuit from Nikki Haley, oh, yeah. who we have to remember has been endorsed by the Koch Brothers Network. That's the powerful brothers, uh, billionaire brothers, who um, support Nikki over Donald Trump. And we can see it really getting to him. I mean, if you see him, and even in the in the press conferences after New Hampshire, where he won by ten or eleven points, he was sweaty, orange, and seething at the fact Nikki Haley was getting all of the attention that she was getting. That she wouldn't bend a knee and kiss the ring the way Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott had in just the days prior. Uh, she says she's staying in this thing, and I hope she does, because I don't believe in a coronation or, or just skipping the whole process. Any thoughts on that? I think it's funny how you say that you're not going to bend the knee, and then not even a day, two days later, you actually bend the knee and you kiss the ring. Mm -hmm. And said then another guy said that he's not... Who was the guy that said he refused to back out and then the very next day Ron DeSantis. Out? Ron DeSanctimonious, the governor of Florida, the man oh, who ban who's banning books uh, like it's 1930s Germany down in Florida. Florida, by the way, still has an NAACP travel warning for African-Americans who want to travel to Florida because they've banned books like the 1619 Project about the first slaves who were brought to this country. That was a Pulitzer Prize winning book uh, written by Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, I, I really don't know what to say. I mean, they've even pulled 1984 and Animal Farm from the shelves Animal in Florida Such public libraries. Book. Yeah, they're excellent books, but they're about authorita authoritarianism and the rise of fascism. And um, it teaches you what to look out for. Yeah, and exactly. They're afraid of that, so they're going to take it away. They're very afraid of that. They they don't want that being talked about in public schools. They and they, also you know the the thing of the moment in in the Republican circles is to uh, you know attack woke, which is really just public decency and kindness, consideration for others. They don't want that in Florida. They want to feel good about being so terrible. And they want to protect white children from feeling guilty about slavery, which 
Again, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It was in the past, leave it in the past, but understand that it can teach you how to have a better future. It certainly can. But they're way too scared of that. Yeah, they're way too scared of it. And uh, it's important for us to understand as as best we can. Logan and I are both uh, white males in the United States, so we have had certain privileges, I, I guess you could say. We've uh, enjoyed some white privilege, whether you realize it or not. Doesn't mean we have to feel guilty for something that our great-great-great-grandfathers may or may not have done. Um, I know that in my family there's no direct link to it, at least not one that I've discovered, but there could be. I don't know. I mean, you know, at some point, someone in, in my on the maternal side of my family um, could have owned slaves because on the paternal side of my family, they're actually immigrants. So that's uh, it's highly unlikely that they were here in time uh, for slavery. Uh, anyway, moving on with today's news, uh, Elena Haba. Remember her? Elena Haba who can fake being smart, but you can't fake being, pre being pretty, <laughs> at least according to her. Elena Haba was warned by the judge that if she keeps it up, if she keeps on with her interruptions or keeps trying to relitigate a case that's already been litigated, then she was going to face jail time herself. So I don't know how pretty Elena Haba would be after a night in a New York jail. Probably not that pretty. No, she probably wouldn't look great. I mean, I've never really picked anybody up uh, who's been in jail. We've we've known people who've gone to jail. Uh, almost every all of us have. You go to pick them up, you know, they've been in there for 24 hours and they're an absolute mess. Not and that's that is in no way admitting that you know Alina Haba is really pretty, but uh, at least I according think to Alina Haba, she is. Make her ugly necessarily. Yeah, even if she was attractive. Um, her she's, actions. She's just ugly. Her attitude, her behavior, her attachment to Donald Trump. Yeah, it's it, kind of it, weird. It, it it makes her. Yeah, I mean, you know, you apparently she's been paid over uh, one point three million dollars. So that's the price for a quote pretty woman to spend that much time around Donald Trump. So today, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of me just normally going through the news as I have in our previous episodes, uh, as our podcast continues to take shape, I thought that I would sort of introduce the Magnolia Media Network, why we're here. Um, a little bit of information about me today. We'll try to get to Logan's story because it is very different. Logan and I do come from different generations. There's about 12 years age difference between us. I'm approaching 40. He is uh, still a couple of years away from 30. 28, 20, sadly. 28. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? It's wild to remember the year 1995 so vividly. It was a good year. I was born that year. Uh, yeah, Michael Jordan came back to the NBA from baseball that year. I remember all that clearly. But uh, at that particular time, I was a Shaq fan anyway. So uh, it didn't have as uh, big an impact on me as it did other children. It was also the same year Mike Tyson was released from prison. Was it? Yeah. Tyson did about three and a half years between early 92 and 95. He had his first fight um, where his body just looked insane <clears throat> coming out of prison. 
Before that, his muscles hadn't really matured. He was cut up and everything, but after three years in prison, he comes out at about age 27 or 28, and it was that post-prison Mike Tyson body that was so terrifying, when you could really see the hard edges on his abs, could see those biceps yeah, popping. Yeah, it was like a monster. Yeah, and in that first fight, you know, that stare down, I think the clip of it from, I don't even want to mention his name, but from the Joe Rogan show, um, that little clip that they show of Mike Tyson staring at his first opponent, McNeely, I think was the guy's name, and he's just watching him bounce back and forth and Tyson's eyes moving. Of course, Tyson knocks him out uh, within the first two minutes of the fight. The whole thing was over with. But, um, you know, Tyson really kind of unwound after that. It was also the year of the Oklahoma City bombing on April 20th, uh, 1995. The terrorist attack in Oklahoma City by a white supremacist. Surprising. Um, shocking. Yeah, shocking. We have, you know, uh, so few terrorist attacks that come from anything other than domestic neo-fascists white Christian terrorists. You know, uh, they, they're being radicalized through Fox News, through Newsmax, through One American News Network, through all of this stuff. And and then leaving manifestos behind to confirm our suspicion. If you remember the El Paso shooter who drove all the way from Dallas, Texas to El Paso, Texas. That's a long drive if you haven't driven across the state of Texas before so that he could kill Hispanic people. And he did, a, he did a, a lot of that. And then again, after his passing, the manifesto was found online where he actually talked about Donald Trump. I think there's, there's been several of those. I've never heard of that. That is... You never heard that? No. Now, that, that's verifiable. That's something you can you That can is search. definitely something... Um, our listeners, if they're not aware of something like that, uh, I'm definitely going to look it up. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something to look into. Again, the guy left a manifesto behind, you know, praising Donald Trump. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, El Paso is the busiest border crossing in the world. Uh, people crossing from Mexico into the U.S. from work or from the U.S. into Mexico for work or, or whatever. Uh, we have plenty of U.S. citizens who are going to border towns in Mexico to have things like dental work or um, optometry done because that's usually an out-of-pocket expense here in the United States, and it's so much cheaper in Mexico to go and have it done. And surprise, when you get there, it's mostly American-trained doctors, English-speaking first doctors who've decided to go there and set up practices. So that, that was a real shock, a real surprise. But um, another really big piece of news, in my opinion, the Senate was closing in on a bipartisan deal to secure the border or to do more on the border uh, and this, quote, chaos, this chaos. It seems like every election cycle, there's chaos on the border. That is, if a Republican's not the incumbent, there's chaos on the border. If a Democrat's an incumbent, then there's chaos on the border. Open border. Biden has just opened the border. Open border policy. That's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And in fact, from the far left fringes of our party, the Democratic Party, we hear people complaining about Biden being too hard on migrants, uh, trying 
to escape violence in their home countries like Nicaragua and Venezuela and making a long trip, a long trip, uh, all the way to the U.S. border to claim asylum. And um, instead, they're encountering razor wire in the middle of the Rio Grande River or being chased by Border Patrol agents on horseback and whipped like something out of, I don't know, some, like something out of a, a, an Old West movie based in the 19th century. It sounds like century. something out of a Quentin Tarantino film, honestly. Yeah, I, no, no offense, Quentin. We love you, by the way. I yeah, mean, we do love we, you. We, we, you won't find two bigger Quentin Tarantino fans anywhere. We didn't mean anything by that. But it is something you know that you can see depicted in one of his films. But uh, so this border wall package to get funding to Ukraine, our allies, something traditional conservatives once believed in. Uh, Mitt Romney, for example, has been uh, heavily involved in in, in this deal. Uh, Trump has openly come out and said now that he doesn't want the border issue to be fixed. Doesn't want any funding for Ukraine either. That's no surprise because they're in a war with Russia, his favorite dictator. So what does he actually expect everyone to do? Nothing. He hopes they do nothing so that if he manages to become president again, you know, terrifying thought, then he could sort of sweep in and take credit for fixing the border or building. So he could be like the hero protagonist. So he would rather us have chaos, have uh, Ukraine suffer more losses not get any funding to our allies, not get any funding to the border or to help the border patrol in any way, uh, or to help asylum seekers. I mean, because the Republican Party really has to start looking at people who are coming to the southern border as human beings because the language they use is dehumanizing. They're getting to, it's getting to a point of, of, of really nauseating language that, they, that they're using about poisoning the blood of America. That's a direct line from 1930s Germany, from Hitler, from the Nazi party. It seems that Trump's using that more and more often. So after being offered a coronation, Trump declined. Supposedly he declined right offhand, but it wasn't that way. It was after the states that have yet to vote, the 48 states that have yet to vote in the Republican primary, uh, had a, a complete meltdown over this. They, there was no way they were going to go along with not having their voters' voices heard. So he backed off it right away. And he's going to have to continue dealing with Nikki Haley. How about Nikki Haley? She's just laying it to him. She seems to have an endless war chest. She can go on for as long as she wants to. And um, I hope she does because she's creating some incredible campaign ads for President Biden. And President Biden can now lay the blame for the border crisis, if you want to call it that, on Donald Trump's feet because Donald Trump has scared some Republican members away from the negotiation by essentially threatening them. I assume he means threatening them with a primary challenger of some sort if they do go along with this. You're either all in on the MAGA fascist movement or you're not. And just to clarify, yes, I consider myself a Democratic activist. I consider myself a member of the Democratic Party. 
I am 100% behind our liberal common sense politicians. But completely lost my train of thought for a moment. What I was saying. You're saying how you follow um, the views of uh, being a liberal, the aspect of right. it. Right. But, oh, but, you know, it's not just about liberalism. It's also about the pro-democracy movement. And, and we want representative democracy in this country. We do not want an autocracy, especially one led by Donald Trump, for God's sake. So that's, that's beyond the pale. So we welcome, again, we're the big tent party. The, the Democratic Party. We have people who have conservative views in our party. We have people who have the most progressive views, uh, the AOCs of our party, the, the Jayapals of our party. And then we have, of course, the Joe Manchins of our party who, thank goodness, Joe Manchin's almost done. Um, we're almost finished with the Joe Manchin era in Washington, D.C., as he is not seeking re-election in West Virginia, a state where he would get wiped out because the sitting governor is running for his Senate seat, a Republican, and it would likely win by 20 or 30 points, as will Donald Trump. But that is more or less our update for the day. So uh, the wind is at Biden's back. You know, we, we're counting on, on Biden to be the candidate uh, who beats Donald Trump a second time, who makes sure Donald Trump doesn't make it anywhere near the Oval Office so he can start acting like a dictator and putting people in positions of power who would not check him whatsoever, who would not get in his way, and who would do whatever he asked them to do, including, and this is a scary one, especially for people who have had issues with the police and communities in this country, especially communities of color, when he says that there would be an exemption for all cops, that sure, you'll get a rogue cop from time to time, Trump says, but there would be no accountability for bad police officers. So basically giving them carte blanche to go out and do whatever they want to the public because they can't be held liable. Trump offering absolute immunity to all police officers in this country. And uh, considering the community you grew up in, Logan, what kind of oh, impact do you think this would have? Um, I have a lot of uh, past experience with um, police officers, uh, even as a child, and that honestly frightens me. Um, I've lost some really good people uh, from the community that I grew up in that um, didn't deserve what they got by police officers. Uh, the police officers just treated them like like a dog with rabies, but really they were just a confused, um, mentally traumatized child that just needed help, and instead they got a bullet. So... Yeah. yeah, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, I, and I keep hearing this. I keep hearing this same narrative, and and I hear it from Democrats um, and Democratic politicians anyway, as much as I hear it from Republicans that it's not the police in general that it's just a few bad eggs here and there. It's just a few bad eggs. It's just a few bad eggs. 
Um, the way I see it is there are uh, just a, a, a few cops on every police force or every major city police force who make the rest of the police officers look good, not the other way around. So I see the good cops as a minority and the bad cops, or rather the uh, sort of rough around the edges kind of cops, um, they're, they're definitely the majority. I, I think it's definitely fair to say in a state like Tennessee, you get more cops who uh, ignore constitutional rights and just want to push themselves right in. Um, and that, that sort of brings us full circle because you started talking a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. And um, even though we grew up, what, 15, 20 minutes apart uh, by automobile? Um, it's two totally different worlds. It's Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Two totally different worlds. Um, so I grew up in a suburb of Knoxville, a little town called Kodak, Tennessee. Um, as a child, it was, it was all farmland. <laughs> it, I grew up on a farm. I was a farm boy. I sort of didn't like that label. Um, and sort of fought that label uh, of being a farm boy, um, using quotation marks there. But I was. I was out in the hay fields in the summertime. I spent a lot of time around men who were born in the 1920s and 1930s because I was primarily raised uh, by my maternal grandparents, specifically my maternal grandfather. Uh, and so the two primary male influences in my life had... Um, totally different experiences in life, but had sort of come to the same conclusion. Because I was born when Ronald Reagan was in office. Uh, Logan was born two presidents later when Bill Clinton was in office, just uh, about to run for his second term. So uh, I, I came to my political identity in a, in a roundabout way. When I was a, a child, uh, you didn't hear about politics all that often. I, I remember the election of in 1992 a little bit. I remember Ross Perot kind of coming along and playing spoiler to Republicans. Then George H.W. Bush did not win re-election. It was this young star who had been the Democratic governor of Arkansas named William Jefferson Clinton who ended up winning that race. And, of course, the rest is history. But that's where my political opinion started being formed. Um, my grandfather, who was, of course, a, a farmer, had actually been born and raised in downtown Knoxville. He, he was a city guy, in other words, and it was during the Great Depression. So as he explained it to me growing up, there really wasn't room for segregation where do you segregate people when 30% of the population is unemployed and starving? Even in a city like Knoxville, which was in the Jim Crow South, and we're talking about the 1930s and 40s. So um, he definitely had a, a different take on racial relations than the, say, average white rural male uh, his age would have uh, in other circumstances. As for my father, I have to say I came to my political identity at about 12 years old. Um, my father was a, a big fan of Bill Clinton, and it was during the campaign of 1996 when uh, President Clinton had to defend his seat against 
Republican Senator Bob Dole. Dole was a good candidate, I guess, for Republicans, but Bill Clinton, we forget now, but Bill Clinton was one of those gifted politicians, a natural politician, a natural speaker. Uh, he could get up in front of a crowd and sort of ooh and ah everyone. He was 12 years old. Um, the debate between uh, Dole and Clinton was just about to happen, and I remember my the door flying open to my bedroom, my father walking in and saying, I want to see you in the living room. And I just sat down and the debate came on. And it was the first political debate I'd ever watched. That's probably about as young as anyone uh, was when they watched their first political debate. And um, he wanted me to see the nuances of how uh, Bill Clinton spoke about uh, how he carried himself. In my father's opinion, he was the greatest salesman he'd ever seen. And my father was a salesman and a, and a sales trainer, a trainer of salespeople. And he just thought the world of Bill Clinton and his ability to draw in a crowd. And he ended up uh, blowing away um, Bob Dole in the 96 election and winning re-election before the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal uh, toward the end of his two years end office came out and uh, was sort of the first um, viral scandal we had in the internet age because this was when AOL was first popping up and we were getting those those little uh, CDs. Anyone old enough to remember can oh, remember those. The, no, not floppy disks. They were actual CDs that would come in the mail and there was AOL on them. And oh, you could and subscribe. you put them in and it like downloaded the it update downloaded software. It. it was like nine ninety nine a month, you know, to get AOL. So my grandparents actually used to get that. Internet. That's so weird. Yeah, this this was this was ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, right in there um, when we saw that. But these were the same years that the Lewinsky scandal happened. And because of that, Monica Lewinsky became the first person really bullied uh, online. And we're talking about bullied to the max. I mean, the comments about her. And she was like 23 at the time. What was the Lewinsky incident? What was it? So Monica Lewinsky was a 23-year-old intern in the White House who mm -hmm. had an affair with Bill Clinton. Oh, that's the woman that Bill Clinton was like... I did not have sexual relations. I did not have sexual relations with that. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And then had to turn around a couple of weeks later and, and then it, say, Yeah, I did do and it. And say, Look, I lied. You know, I lied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was the cigar incident. I will not go into graphic detail about what the cigar incident means. But if you're old enough to remember, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and it's really great to see Monica today. You know, you see her on TV, she's had her. Her docu-series or whatever aired um, where she's gotten a chance to tell her truth. You know, she's written a book here in the last couple of years and it's sort of reemerged. By the way, Monica has really grown into a beautiful woman, uh, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm glad to see that she made it through what had to be. There, there was no blueprint for how to handle being attacked from all sides uh, in this new Internet age where anybody with a computer uh, and, and a keyboard uh, was um, 
a journalist, and, you know, all of a sudden and could start writing these horrendous stories about you, whether they're true or not. You know, we have the First Amendment. It was like country. the early dawn of like Reddit or Instagram or Twitch posters. Yeah, it was exactly that. And and she really and and, and for twenty three, a woman who got caught up, and that's what happened. I mean, she got caught up. And, you know, anybody who knows what we're saying, you know, you get caught up sometimes. And she got caught up with President Clinton. Um, and, you know, he was the responsible 50-plus-year-old man who should have known better than to put her in that position. But he did it anyway. Um, there's some real questions about Bill Clinton being raised again, you know, after the uh, Epstein names were released. Bill Clinton seemed to be... Uh, a fan of Epstein and visiting his little island of horrors. But I grew up in a, in a community uh, where I would say nine out of ten people voted Republican. And when I discovered my political identity and realized that I was more aligned with liberal policy than, than Republican policy and that liberal policy actually benefited even we rural people, you know, out in the sticks more than the Republican Party did, um, I just sort of shifted that direction. But it wasn't as if I thought of conservatives or Republican voters as evil. I mean, that was absurd at the time. We've come to this point now in, in the country where politics is so fractious, we're so divided, that you really can't have a, a conversation with somebody of the other party anymore without somebody flying off the handle. But I would have never survived the, the high school that I went to, the church I went, that I went to, or churches I went to as a, as a child, if I had honestly thought that, you know, nine out of ten people around me were somehow, you know, evil. Um, and and, and it, it's sort of become um, an evil institution today as the Republican Party's been hijacked by MAGA extremists. And MAGA is really what we're fighting against here. Again, I am 100% Democrat. I am a Democratic voter. I've never voted for a Republican. My first elect presidential election was 2004. I did vote for John Kerry. I voted against George W. Bush, who I largely saw as um, taking his eye off the ball and allowing... 9-11 uh, to happen. I did not fall in with the 70% who approved of his presidency at that point. And it was the first time, and, and it was a good early lesson, it was the first time the Supreme Court had stepped in and essentially appointed a president. It was something like 537 votes separating Al Gore and George Bush in Florida. And whomever um, got the right, won the state of, of, of Florida, uh, would be president of the United States. A recount was ordered, and the Bush, the, the Bush campaign ran to the, again, Republican majority on the Supreme Court. That was the Rehnquist Court. William Rehnquist was the chief justice at the time, who has since been replaced by John Roberts after his passing. That decided, you know what? No, there's no reason for a recount. Um, even though the margin was that close, 500 some odd votes. And, oh, and Al Gore um, lost that election over those, over those few votes. So 
you know, uh, that that was that that was a that was a big moment for me when I said, okay, look, I pushed hard for Al Gore. I wasn't able to vote. I was only 16. I was a bit of an outcast uh, with some of my teachers and even with some of my friends when it came to talking about the election because I was so firmly behind Al Gore. Um, but the Supreme Court stepping in and handing an election to someone of the same party uh, it really irked me. Uh, it'd be sort of like the Supreme Court today stepping in because it's a heavily, now it's a Republican supermajority on the Supreme Court and uh, just appointing Donald Trump president if it came down to one state, let's say Pennsylvania, and there were 500 votes separating Trump and Biden and uh, Trump uh, had a 500 vote lead, but there was some question about uh, the handwritten ballots and they were going to have a recount. And instead, this uh, religious Supreme Court we have today, this is a Supreme Religious Court, not a Supreme Court anymore. I think They've that's lost. a little ridiculous that they can sit there and try to scam up a way to cheat their way into winning something that is for a whole country and they just don't want to play by the books. No, they don't want to play by the rules at all. It's kind of sad. And 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 another thing is demographic shifts. Demographic shifts were proving that Republicans weren't going to be able to win elections really anywhere. Certainly not hold majorities in the House, in the Senate, or win the White House. So uh, after the 2012 election, when Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan lost to Barack Obama and Joe Biden, Obama and Biden got their second term in office, um, they decided to sit down and figure out how to expand the party and to how to appeal to more moderate voters, how to appeal to more young people, how to appeal to more minorities because that was the generation that was coming up. It was no more the, the overwhelmingly white majority that existed when Nixon was elected and when Reagan was elected. Um, so it was, uh, they, they were facing annihilation anyway. So they decided to, uh, to, to do something about it. Then along comes Donald Trump in 2015 throws the Romney plan out the window and says, no, let's just double down. Let's radicalize a, a population that's already been beaten into submission by Fox News commentary uh, for the 20 years before Trump appears. And, and we have to remember this. In 2000, on CNN, on the Larry King program, Larry King asked Donald Trump if he were to run for president, and if he were to run for one of the two major party nominations, would he remain a Democrat? Because he was a registered Democrat up until eight months before he run for the, ran for the Republican nomination in 2016. Yeah, he was like, I this, swear on the Bible I'm a Democrat. He was a Democrat. He, he was a Democrat all of that time. And then decides he's a Republican. And here's why. Back in 2000, during that interview with Larry King, yeah. when, when CNN had more going for it than just political news and war coverage 24-7. They actually covered things like sports and entertainment and fashion. They had Larry King. And Larry King tonight was, was, was a big deal. Donald Trump went on and said he would have to 
become a Republican to run for president if he ever decided to do it because Republic Republicans were dumb enough to buy his shtick. <laughs> Democrats were too smart to for somebody like Trump. And you notice how Trump. all the Republicans nowadays, like, you have, like, three different kinds of Republicans now. They're, like, splicing like mutants. You have, like, the Republicans that are, like, neo-Nazi, like, white supremacists, like, fascists. Mm -hmm. And then you have the people that are uh, just make America great again, but still kind of fascist. And then you have, like, the old Republicans that... Voting for Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah, that, and it's sad. Like, my grandparents, they're Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a Republican, but they are. Right. They're old Republicans. They believe that, like, the same values as a normal Republican would look at, like... Small government, lower taxes. Yes. That's what they believe in. They are being tricked by, like, Fox News and all these Republican news sentinels. And they just don't understand because, look, they're getting older. They don't have enough time to deal with people's bullcrap. And... Honestly, my even my grandfather is like, I just don't want to be a part of it. Like, I'm a Republican, but this isn't right. So they're basically Republicans who aren't going to vote. Because yeah. the option's going to be Because the options so aren't there. There's just not the option for them. You know, with my family, you know, especially my grandfather, he had, he had really, really done well in his life because of unions and the strong labor movement that happened just before he entered the workforce. So he entered the workforce in the, what, mid-40s. And, you know, by the late 50s, a man working a full-time job could take care of his family or a woman working a full-time job, mm -hmm. although it was less common at the time, could work a full-time job. As long as you had a full-time job 40 hours a week, maybe a little over time, you could afford a home, you could afford a car, the American dream was alive and well. It wasn't until Richard Nixon and then came along and appointed a couple of Supreme Court justices that especially Judge Powell, um, who had that famous letter that was leaked um, that was meant for the American Chamber of Commerce, a right-wing business organization. And I mean, even your local Chamber of Commerce, for the most part, is uh, still tied to this National Chamber of Commerce. And where he essentially said it's time for wealthy people to take their corporations back. If before Nixon, the top tax bracket in the United States was about 90%. That stopped one person from gaining as much wealth as someone like Elon Musk. Elon Musk has enough money to involve himself in foreign affairs, like with the submarine incident, uh, last yeah, year. Yeah, didn't he cut off he the... cut off um, Starlink, yeah. He cut off Starlink right as they were about to go aid Ukraine, and then... Just, no, just as Ukraine was about to attack... Attack Russia, Russia yes. And Russia's Navy fleet, um, they, were, they were about to just take them out with a submarine, and everything shut down. Instead, they had to surface and float ashore, because Elon Musk took it upon himself to um, shut it down. And he's didn't he come up with a bunch of like excuses? He was he's uh, had like, every excuse in the world. It was an accident. The there fact was some is, kind of uh, corruption, or he did he wasn't aware of what was going on and cut it off himself. 
Yep. So basically he said, I did do it, but I didn't do it, and it wasn't my fault. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the thing with, with Elon. I mean, we're not going to spend all day on Elon. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're basically talking about where we're, we're coming from, why we exist. First of all, we want people to know that there are white rural raised in my case and in both of our cases heterosexual males in the southeastern united states who have liberal values and who will promote who will uh, march with who who will demonstrate with uh, the democratic party to help move it forward and we might not be able to shift tennessee in one or two election cycles but we can certainly uh, help in Georgia, which has recently gone blue. They now have two Democratic senators. And we have North Carolina, which here in Tennessee, we say on the other side of the mountain. Because um, they're literally on, they're the, literally other on the other side of the mountain from us. You can see North Carolina. Um, and, and we say on the other side of the mountain, North Carolina is a state that's, that's as close as one or two points. That's a state with a Democratic governor uh, and Roy Cooper. Um, one of the most popular governors in the United States. So it's something to keep in mind. And I truly believe that if Tennessee could pull itself up from like 35th and voting in the United States, that it would be a far more competitive state. But it's been gerrymandered to death. Of course, we live in the state where, yeah, drag queens were banned, where they're, they're getting books off the shelf, where they're using federal money to open private schools so they can teach religion and instead of real science and that's that's scary and it's sad because tennessee used to be famous for traditional conservatives yeah bill haslam did not offend me when he was governor of the state of tennessee he tried to expand Medicaid. We're one of eight states, by the way, that hasn't expanded Medicaid for people who don't make enough to get a rebate on the Affordable Care Act uh, or healthcare.gov insurance marketplace. Yeah, so, and doesn't, um, I'm not sure if a lot of uh, Tennesseans know this, but actually you taught me this um, about a year ago that the taxes mm -hmm. that are paid in the state of Tennessee don't go for any of the medical care in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. They go for medical aid for Kentucky, out of all places. Not just Kentucky. I use Kentucky as an example because they as have expanded reference. Medicaid. And basically, the federal tax dollars we pay to the federal government don't make their way back to Tennessee. They make their way to other states that have expanded Medicaid, which was made possible by Obamacare, by the Affordable Care Act. And we've chosen not to do it. So if you didn't have the opportunity to work that year because you were at home taking care of a loved one who was sick, for example, which is something I, I've experienced myself with uh, my grandmother, you don't qualify for any type of insurance coverage. You can't get any kind of rebate on the Affordable Care Act unless you want to pay full price for a $400 a month health insurance plan, which uh, if you're unemployed, obviously you're not paying $400 a month for health insurance, uh, or um, go without. And, and they refer you to what they call community health centers. 
I have yet to see a community health center in the state of Tennessee, but we've had massive hospital closures because oh, yeah. rural residents can't can't afford to, to go to the hospital anymore. And without Medicaid expansion, then you have hospitals in rural areas closing. Some people got to travel an hour to go to the hospital in Tennessee. Yeah, it's sad. Like the uh, luckily there was uh, this um, the LMU College. Lincoln Memorial University. Yeah, yeah. Lincoln Memorial. Um, they took the old St. Mary's Hospital behind mm-hmm. Fulton High School and uh, gutted it, uh, revamped it, and turned it into a dental educational university for uh, future dentists. And they do offer a lot of help if um, people are interested in checking them out. I've been one of their patients before, and it, it's highly recommended. Right. Well, I mean, you know, so we're dependent on, in Tennessee at least, we're dependent on those types of things in order to, uh, in order to make a, to make, to make do when it comes to healthcare, unless you make X amount of dollars and can either get your healthcare through an employer or get your healthcare through the Affordable Care Act because you made at least 13, 14, 15,000, whatever that minimum number is. There's still a loophole there, and in Tennessee, the last time I looked at these numbers, um, 274,000 Tennesseans, about 6.5 million total population in Tennessee, 274, 275,000 people have no form of health coverage whatsoever. So uh, getting back on track for a moment, though, my father, his family is uh, has ties to, to New York City. Uh, if you didn't notice the last name Ruggiero, it's not a traditional Southern name. Um, it's it's an Italian name, and my fa- grandfather on my dad's side is is a is a was a New Yorker. So maybe it was some of that sensibility in my father um, that drove him toward the Democratic Party, even if it meant he was going to be a minority among other white men in this area. Um, but it it didn't bother him, you know, and it didn't bother me, you know, from a very early age. By the age of 16, I knew I was a Democrat and would likely never vote Republican unless they changed completely. But it was it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue. I spent every summer in the hayfields mending fences, uh, helping cattle give birth with my grandfather and with other old men about his age who he ran around with. I spent more time with them in the summer than I did my own friends um, because there was work to do. You know, we were mending fences. We were putting in a garden. We were harvesting the vegetables from that garden. We were, you know, it, it went on and on. And uh, politics never came up. You know, I know that after Reagan uh, made it legal for uh, corporations to practice tax buybacks, it did away with incentives to do things like raise your employees' pay. There was no reason to do it anymore. Why? The tax bracket had the taxes had been reduced so far, and thanks to the Trump tax cut in 2017, we are now adding two trillion dollars in additional spending because he didn't find a way to pay for that tax cut. Two trillion dollars in additional spending. A debt, a debt rather, uh, being added to the deficit, which is now larger than our annual GDP. 
our national debt is $34 trillion. So basically he just made us owe another handful of trillions of dollars because he promised something he couldn't do. Donald Trump added $8 trillion in in deficit money to our national debt, to our deficit, in four years with one bill. He only passed one bill as president of the United States, and it was a massive tax cut that only benefit the 1%. 1%. That's it. So um, that's that's a tough pill to swallow uh, that we're paying for the recklessness of Donald Trump. And then again, we paid for it with uh, literally our lives. Uh, if, if If you didn't have someone in your family or a close friend actually die from COVID and the poor or mismanagement of COVID, uh, then you were robbed of what? Two years. Two years where it was difficult to go to the office, where it was difficult to go to a job, where you, if you were an hourly or uh, essential worker, an essential worker that we were in love with during the pandemic, now we've forgotten all about them. Uh, minimum wage hasn't been raised, by the way, in, in 20 years. It's still $7.25 an hour. Biden did try to raise it to $15 an hour, and it was killed by a soon-to-be former Democratic senator from Arizona named Kirsten Sinema. Uh, it appears she will be replaced by um, a Democrat named Ruben Gallego. Current Didn't she of the say that Arizona. she was a Democrat, but really she fell in all the views of a Republican? She was actually a Green Party it's a climate change party, Green Party candidate to begin with. Then and she actually just got money hungry. I guess because the first person we saw her palling around with in the United States Senate was the only conservative Democrat in the U.S. Senate, a man named Joe Manchin. Oh gosh. Yeah, I know. I mean, even Logan, who is certainly not quite the politics junkie that I am. Um, is kind of nauseated by yeah, the name Joe, Joe Manchin. Uh, I, I'm really not a political person. I believe that everybody should be created and treated equal. Um, I have a lot of positive views politically, but I'm not as educated as John is. But even I know Joe is sloppier than a sloppy Joe. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a snake. He, I mean, he's he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, and And you know, we've had to deal with him. However, I will say this for Joe. Joe, if you ever hear this, thank you for the judges because we've had a slim majority in the uh, United States Senate over the last three years. You have been the critical vote on a lot of these judges. You did uh, vote for Katanji Brown Jackson, a black woman on the Supreme Court, finally. Uh, So we appreciate you doing that after Justice Breyer decided to retire um, and get out while there was a Democrat in office and a chance of him being replaced. So we've been able to put a ton of judges into the federal system. Uh, I believe a record number uh, for uh, the first three years of a president's term. So for all of the bad stuff we can say about Joe, not caring about climate change, getting rich off his position, um, he did vote for our judges most of the time not all of the time if they were going to get in the way of his personal business because his son does run 
a natural gas and coal company in West Virginia, he was willing to vote for them. So, you know, we appreciate that. Plus, you know, having a president who's been as been around as long as our president and Joe Biden, um, he knows Joe Manchin. He knew him well. I mean, he had to have worked with him from 2006 when he first took office. Joe Biden was still a senator from Delaware, so they worked together directly in the Senate. Then in 2008, Joe was uh, Barack Obama's vice president. I'm sure he did a lot of deal-making in the United States Senate uh, for, um, uh, for Barack Obama. So um, we, have to, we have to take a win where we can get it, you know. And uh, as, as much as I dislike Joe Manchin, I still appreciate the judges. But, um, you know, in my, in my family, I had those two major male role models who my grandfather saw what Nixon had done, you know, artificially continuing the Vietnam War and getting thousands of more U.S. Uh, GIs killed um, before uh, finally ending the war in 1974, right before he was kicked out of office. Then Ronald Reagan comes along, Iran-Contra happens, and my grandfather was disgusted by that, as was my father. Um, and when George, uh, or I'm sorry, Bill Clinton came along, um, there was no question who my maternal grandfather and his son-in-law, my father, were going to vote for. So I was heavily influenced that, uh, by that early um, in life, and it's just carried on into my adult life. And I, I really believe that the Democratic Party has put, form, uh, put forth a, a, a better policy platform over the years, uh, that even during the George W. Bush years, it, it was the better option was the Democratic Party, even if it wasn't the perfect option. Now that we've really started taking climate change seriously, now that we have the Progressive Caucus pushing us in the right direction, it, it's it's really amazing to see the progress that we've made. So um, with that, any final thoughts, Logan? Um, I was wondering if we could talk about the whole process of the initial idea of what we're starting here and what we were doing. Okay. Well, ju just for everybody who, obviously, you're, you're likely not from Knoxville, if you're listening to this, but if you are, you're familiar with Magnolia Avenue. Magnolia Avenue, for white folks in the suburbs, get a little bit of a chill down their spine when they hear the, the term Magnolia Avenue. It's um, Magnolia, synonymous Katapa. with Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia synonymous with uh, you know gangs, violence, drugs, prostitution, etc. Um, and it, of course, is the African American part of town. It's East Knoxville. Uh, now, Logan and I are like big brother, little brother. And when he and I started this thing, we decided to. Um, I decided rather on Magnolia Media for a name, not because of the Magnolia Flower or anything like that, but because of Magnolia Avenue. In my grandfather's heyday, in the 1930s and 40s, that was a beautiful neighborhood that has now been left to rot, swallow, 
I yeah. mean, it's squalor. It, 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 so many abandoned buildings, so many places for drugs and violence to um, to take place. And, uh, you know, yeah, the police for, just um, sort of drive by. I mean, they don't do any real policing over there. But Logan would certainly know a lot more about Magnolia Avenue than I do because he is from that community. I have been a part of Magnolia's wonderful neighborhood, and it is a wonderful neighborhood. Yeah, the people are, they stay to themselves, but not only that, once you've been neighbors for so many years, you almost become like family. And um, how bad the um, political government treats Magnolia is awful. The main roads are hardly ever paved or treated, but every single back road everywhere, and except for the ones that are by elementary school or by Austin East, all of them are left just untreated. And Austin with, East is a school, right? Yes. Okay. All the roads are untreated. They still have potholes, bumps, cracks, everything. The reason why they keep it like that is because whenever they're on a um, police search or whenever they're searching for someone, say someone's in a car being chased by the police, it's a lot easier to catch them because they can't drive fast because of all the potholes. I had a police officer tell me that himself. I think it's a little goofy. But the um, there's this... Abandoned uh, motel. It used to be a motel, and it's behind my house. This motel I have seen within the past nine years. I have seen 12 different people buy it and then try to do something with it. Originally, it was a um, like a matchbox motel back in the 80s. And um, Explain matchbox hotel. What do you mean by that? It's a, uh, it's a term... That you basically use for it's like a rundown hotel or motel that are mainly full of crack addicts, and the reason why they call it Matchbox is because everybody is striking up lighters to oh, heat up spoons. To heat up spoons to shoot. And up. coincidentally, a fire actually broke out in one of the um, rooms, and the family was burned alive. Oh God! And then they closed it down for several years. And then uh, eventually this um, ex-veteran tried to buy it. He was a very goofy guy. He actually made a tent in one of the rooms and um, stayed there for several months while he worked on the property and then gave up on it and sold it to another person who did a little bit of work, broke down the house that was in the front property, and then sold it again. And then it just kept getting sold and bought, sold and bought. And... They're still trying to do something to that well, place. Well, that, that, that goes to a bigger question. Before we wrap up here, and we do have to wrap up. We're about out of time, folks, so I apologize. Um, do you believe that the community around Magnolia, by the way, that community is called Burlington. Do you believe Magnolia slash Burlington can be saved? Is it a community oh, that could be saved with enough investment, enough time? If everyone could just look at the facts instead of trying to point out who's right and who's wrong, mm. because you have a lot of um, African Americans that are Republican and that are actually Trump lovers, which is very shocking. Mm. And then you have the um, sweet old ladies that are African women and they're more Democrat. They hate Trump. Well, they're the backbone. They are the of backbone the, of the Democratic Party, especially in the South. 
We wouldn't win in Georgia. We wouldn't be as close as we are in North Carolina. We certainly wouldn't have flipped Virginia so many years ago without black women. I mean, black women, you know, make the, they're the backbone of the party nationally. And we'll be bringing you interviews in the future with uh, black women, strong black women, with, with a real pedigree and, and, and who know the history of Magnolia and Burlington in the future. Um, I have a lot of, um, I guess you would call aunties that are he's wonderful got like 35 people. aunts and and I and when I met him for the first time I thought to myself this guy's got like 35 aunts 26 brothers and and 29 <laughs> uncles you know and I thought and I never even and I only met his mother I met his father one time I thought wow you came from a huge family and then I found out you know uh, that all of them were black and I okay so this just it's just a <laughs> reference because you're obviously not a, a black man and uh, you know Uncle uh, Uncle Billy or Uncle Joey Uncle, or Uncle um, Josh, yeah, uh, Uncle, Uncle Josh. Dior, Uncle yeah. Radio, yeah, right, and Tyson. Shout, yeah, by the way, shout out to uh, Uncle Willie. Uh, that's a, that's the only way I know Willie, and I've met him a few times. Yeah, I love you, Uncle. Um, shout out to Josh. Um, shout out to Isaiah. Uh, he's sort of an adopted little brother to me, and an adopted little because he was. Well, actually, he's uh, technically he's my blood relative. He's my second he, cousin. Yeah, I know he is, but, but he's not. Your, anyways, he's not your actual little brother. Um, oh, I think that the uh, community, if we got together and we actually were fed, because a lot of people are ignorant to the news. They're they're oblivious to what's actually going on so they just hear rumors from one person to another and it all becomes a mosh posh of air details mm. but i believe that if everyone got together that if everyone came to an agreement that we could make a difference and shout out to miss Fel felicia utsi petway uh, you've always been like an aunt to me and um, I'll be telling our story uh, about my childhood and about how I became who I am today but uh, she has a program uh, stewards of the earth and love is the answer and she's a phenomenal woman hopefully we'll get her on an interview and I can't wait for that yeah I'm excited for that one too he, um you know, there's some interesting statistics that have come out about uh, black men and their relationship to Donald Trump. I guess, you know, he makes them feel manly, makes them feel strong, makes it, even though they should be terrified of the fact the guy's basically going to take all constraints off, um, off the police. If there's one group of people in the United States who've had issues with the police, it's Black men. I mean, we all saw George Floyd be murdered by Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis uh, with nine minutes and however many seconds of 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 choking the life out of him with his knee on his neck. Um, oh, there's so many more like jo that, uh, Jose Dwayne Omfroy. And, um, and, and, and the one that got me was was Philando Castile. We'll have to save that uh, for tomorrow's episode, but. Um, because we're running out of time, but yeah, we I, are. I did pose this question, Logan. I mean, you know more than I do. You'd know better than I would. Trump has to win one in four black men, twenty-five percent of the black male vote, to win the presidency in twenty twenty-four. Is that? Do you think that's possible? 
If I'm being honest, no. You don't I, think it is? I don't think it's possible. I think that uh, a lot of uh, money-hungry homies or brothers would probably vote, but aren't really actually going to vote because they just aren't going to. They're just not voters. And I, and I have to think, too, with such a, a, a loyal base of, of voters and black women that they're going to have to answer to their mamas. And oh, all the mamas are going to vote. Yeah, and so mama gets you by your ear and drag you out of the house and tell you how you're going to vote. So there, <laughs> there's this thing, you know, male in, you know, black male independence that when I'm on the east side, and I spend a lot of time there myself now. Because of me. Because of Logan. Uh, when I spend a lot of time there, and I've gotten to know people in the neighborhood, and it feels to me like their mothers... Uh, are always the most important women in their lives. Oh yeah, and and um, and they don't want to be stuck in a situation where their mothers never talk to them again, uh, or um, yeah, like Miss Frida, she does not play no games. Yeah, that's what I mean. So you've got a lot of that, and but we can't count on that. We have to continue our activism. We have to continue our push. We have to continue. Um, uh, doing things like what we're doing now. Uh, we're not associated with the Democratic Party directly right now. Nope. We're not part of the DNC. We're not part of the DSCC, part of the DCCC, which is the congressional version of the DSCC. Uh, so we're not uh, you know, taking donations for that. Everything you donate to us, uh, we'll have our Patreon up in the next couple of days. We'll give you that information as soon as possible so that you can you can help support um, our mission here in Knoxville, Tennessee, which we want to take regionally. You know, we want, again, we want to, uh, our brothers and sisters in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, especially Georgia, which is a state that's already been turned. Um, is it would just help us make state. more episodes and get the, get yeah, to do it, more I mean, that's all you're doing right now is you're just helping, helping fund us uh, to do this work, to have these conversations, and to later bring you the interviews uh, with people from the the neighborhoods that we've discussed and the neighborhoods we've chose to name the podcast and ultimately the news network we're trying to start here after you know Magnolia Media Network. So, uh, with that being said, any final thoughts? Um, let's hope that Trump doesn't get any more crazier, which we all know that he's going <laughs> any to. Crazier. Um, uh, what about, um, how, what about your first day on the air? Now we've done about six episodes or so and Logan has I've just I've been doing it. all the editing and, um, sorry for the first two. I was trying to get the, the fundamentals yeah, we're, and we're everything learning. down, but it's been really fun. Um, I like to put in the little uh, bits for you guys to have a little bit of laughter. Um, sadly, I probably won't be putting that much into this one, but honestly, I was really nerve-wracked. Uh, sorry for the squeaky chair if you hear it. Um, I just was a little jittery. But yeah, it's been awesome, and I really appreciate it. All right. Well, Logan, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on the show with us today. A quick readout. Uh, I'd like to thank Logan Ramsey for joining me on air and for engineering today's episode. You're also, very welcome. <laughs> I'd also like to thank Courtney Halstead for technical support. I am your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero. This is the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. Until next time, be well. <laughs>